everyone, and welcome back to the Right Life Project podcast. I'm your host, Jim Yort. Usually I begin by giving you a quick overview of what the Right Life Project is all about, but today I'm actually going to focus just on that. After all, all the topics I cover here and on the blog and the work I do with people in person cover a lot of territory, but it's all in service of a single goal to help you have a right life. So what is that? Well, for starters, let me be clear about my use of the term right. For some people, something being right implies that another thing is wrong. I suppose in one sense that is how I'm using the word, but I'm not using it in a judgmental way. I'm not saying that there's one particular way your life should look, and that you need to shoehorn yours into this mold that's coming from an external source. I'm using the term right in the way that you might if you were trying on different sizes of shoes. What you're looking for isn't the one universally correct size, but the correct size for you. The one that fits just right. This is a good analogy, actually. How well would it work if size 8 were decreed the right shoe size that everyone is required to wear? I know I'd be pretty miserable. So would most people. Finding the right shoe size isn't about making your foot conform to rigid external characteristics. Your foot is your foot. Instead, it's about finding a match between the foot you naturally have already and the environment of the shoe. It's the same with having a right life. It's a process of revealing and nurturing your true nature that's already within you, and, as much as possible, having your external environment aligned with that. Now, while everyone needs their own shoe size and a shoe that fits their particular needs and suits their tastes, there are some universal needs that all shoes need to meet. At the most basic level, the purpose of all shoes is to protect your foot from the ground and permit your feet to carry you farther than you'd probably be able to tolerate otherwise, just like horseshoes extend the range of the horse. Yes, I know that high heels may be an exception, but just bear with me here if you would. The point being, no matter what, all shoes have a sole on the bottom. If they didn't, they wouldn't be proper shoes at all. I don't know what we'd call them. Foot covers, maybe. But we wouldn't call them shoes. They have these common functions, but the specific way they accomplish them varies a great deal. In the same way, the details of what your life would be like if it fit you just right aren't set in stone, but in order for it to be that kind of good-fitting life, it needs to meet certain fundamental needs of yours and exercise certain fundamental capacities of yours. These criteria for a right life aren't commandments that I've just dreamed up, but in most cases they are borne out by research in the life and social sciences as being supportive of a deep sense of happiness and well-being. In all cases, they're testable and verifiable by you in your own life experience, not things that I'm asking you to take on faith. In fact, as well supported as the concepts I talk about may be, I encourage you not to take my word for anything. See if they're true for you. That's what matters. The right life approach involves taking a look at four dimensions of your life that, taken together, account for pretty much all of your experience of life, 
the psychological, physical, social, and vocational domains. Every aspect of your life is influenced by your health in each of these dimensions, and importantly, the way they all interact with each other. Just as you and your environment interact with and mutually influence each other, each of the dimensions of your life do the same thing. I'm sure you've experienced this connection yourself, like when you've gotten into an argument, for instance, and your mood was affected, or when you were distracted or anxious about something in your personal life and your performance at work was affected. Humans are very adaptable to changes in our environments, so when something happens in one dimension of our life, not only are other dimensions affected, but often people take action in them to compensate somehow for what has happened. For instance, after you got into that argument and your mood was affected negatively, perhaps you went to have a drink, an effort on some level, conscious or not, to feel better in some way. This dynamic works in both directions. We respond, either reflexively or intentionally, to changes in the experience of our lives all the time and the net result of this interdependence can be positive or negative. You can go into a downward spiral, and on the other hand, the rising tide can lift all boats. With the right life approach, I try to help you achieve higher levels of well-being in different dimensions, and also make use of interdependence to capitalize on any benefits you're able to achieve in one of them to help spread the benefit around to others. Complicating this effort is the dual nature of the human mind. On one hand, we have these very powerful, ancient, deep-seated drives that exist in order to help us survive. They push us toward the path of least resistance, the one that requires the least effort and produces the most pleasure and avoids pain and discomfort. These preferences work fine for survival. That's why all animals have them. They help animals survive and pass along their genes. We're in a pickle, though, because we also have the capacity for higher-level, abstract thought and uniquely human, positive and negative feelings. The problem is that the courses of action that that primitive part of your brain recommends are generally the opposite of the ones that would produce long-term, deep happiness and satisfaction with life in the human parts. A simple example of this would be sitting on the couch eating cookies. From a primitive brain survival standpoint, there's nothing better. You're not expending any energy. You're gathering calories that you may need in case of starvation. And the tasting experience is pleasurable. Do that for long enough, or too often though, and you'll probably start to feel unhealthy. You may gain weight and even feel bad about yourself psychologically, like you're a lazy slob. I speak from experience on this. This is a problem other animals don't have. Your dog isn't able to sit there and ponder things like his place in the universe, whether he's a good dog, or if he's making the most out of his life. He just sits there. He's lucky in that he doesn't have to worry about feeling bad about his life or himself the way we might. Of course, he also doesn't get to enjoy those uniquely human feelings like fulfillment, compassion, meaning, and so many more. 
Now, just as your bodies and your primitive brain's needs and capacities need to be met and exercised in order for you to survive, your uniquely human ones need to be met and exercised in order for you to feel completely fulfilled as a human, in order to thrive. This doesn't mean that you have to give up meeting your basic survival needs, of course. Putting down the cookies and getting up from the couch to go for a walk isn't going to make you forget how to eat so that you starve to death. It's more a matter of reallocating your finite amount of bandwidth, bringing your thoughts and action into alignment with your desired outcome. If your goal is just to get by, then you don't have to do much but listen to your primitive brain. If you want more than that, you need to make some effort to do what doesn't come as easily. We could look at the social dimension of your life as an example. There's a baseline need we all have for contact with others. This has been demonstrated in studies with monkeys and people. We can suffer serious psychological and even physical damage if we're isolated. There's a reason why isolation has been used as a form of punishment for so long by people. You need human contact in order to keep from suffering these consequences. But while plopping down on a park bench next to someone might satisfy the bare minimum need and get you by, it doesn't do much for your uniquely human social needs. In order to thrive, you need to feel witnessed by others and cared for. To feel like you can trust people and that you have a safe base of support to return to when times are bad. When we feel connected with people, our brains light up like they're a kid in a candy store. They love it. This isn't conjecture. We now have the neuroscience to prove it. So, in each dimension of life, it's important to know what it takes to get by and what it takes to thrive, so that you can at least achieve the former and, if you want, the latter. If you're a regular listener and reader of the Right Life Project, I suspect that thriving as a human is your goal. While those human needs are universal, their unique configuration inside of you and the details of how they're satisfied are also unique to you, like your fingerprint. It's the same reason we can all have shoes that look different but perform the same function. Your unique configuration of human needs and capacities is what I call your core self. And revealing and nurturing your core self and making a comfy home for it in the environment of your life is what the Right Life Project is all about. Now, I could go on about these ideas to provide more detail, but I'm not going to because I have something prepared for you that will do just that. If you've been listening to the podcast lately, you've heard me say that a surprise was on its way. Well, it's finally here. I'd like to officially announce the release of my ebook entitled The Right Life Guide Start Crafting the Rich, Fulfilling Life You Want. In it, I cover the right life approach in a good amount of detail. I discuss the crucial difference between pleasure and happiness, how they're often at odds with each other, and even how wanting to be happy can sometimes work against you. I also discuss psychological, social, and vocational health individually. I touched on some of the social issues in this talk. In the psychological chapter, 
I cover those difficulties that tend to crop up when you're trying to make positive changes in your life. Things like ambivalence, strong emotions, and parts of yourself that you aren't a big fan of. Also, how you can work with your life story to help propel you to higher levels of well-being. In the vocational chapter, I explore the importance of not just being industrious, but also your relationship to the work you do. I also provide an entire chapter on mindfulness, which is an important part of a right life, because it can help to unwind the habits of the primitive mind that keep you suffering. Not to mention there's a long list of practical benefits to your psychological and physical health that flow from mindfulness meditation practice. I also offer 30 ideas that can help get you started cultivating a right life right this moment. It's a 74-page PDF, and I've also made Kindle and EPUB versions available for you people with ebook readers. And it's not just an ebook. There's also an audiobook version if you'd prefer to listen to it. Okay, so you're probably wondering what it costs. So hold on to your seat. It's free. You can download the ebook and audiobook in whatever format you like, or all of them if you'd like. It's up to you. All you need to do is sign up for my email list, which I use to keep people apprised of my latest articles, podcasts, events, and workshops. Occasionally, I send out a newsletter also. You can unsubscribe anytime you want, but of course, I'm hoping that as a fan of RLP, you'll stick around on the list. I don't want to boost your expectations too high, but I do want to say that putting this ebook and audiobook together involved a great deal of work. So I'd like for it to benefit as many people as possible. So please, if you have anyone in your life who may benefit from having a framework for self actualization, or even someone who just wants to make change in one area of their life for now, please spread the word about the availability of the book. Also, when you're done reading or listening to it, I'd love it if you'd return the favor by leaving a comment on the website with your thoughts about the guide, or how it may help you, or an idea that you took from it and tried in your own life, and how it worked, or how it is working, for you. You'll find the link in the ebook for the page where you can leave a comment. So, all you need to do is visit www.rightlifeproject.com and you'll see a box right there at the top of the page to click for access to the Right Life Guide. Just enter your email address and confirm your subscription, and the link for the downloads will be delivered to your inbox right away. I won't be doing show notes this week, by the way, because the Right Life Guide is the ultimate show notes for this talk. I do hope you download the guide and spend some time with it, because it provides a great foundation for the ongoing discussion here on the podcast and on the blog, and it can get you started moving toward the richest, most satisfying life you can imagine. So, until next time, enjoy the guide, and as always, I wish you all the best in your pursuit of your right life. <laughs>